We want to go deeper with God and deeper with one another. And how we're going to be doing that in a very practical way, what that looks like, is we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians over the next few weeks. And we're doing that because the book of Ephesians is a beautiful roadmap for us to find fresh life, amazing strength in God, just hope in our relationships. It is a template for what living with God in a healthy way is. And so that's how we want to start. We want to start by just leaning in to the book of Ephesians. But here's the deal. We also want to go deeper with one another. All right? So we have so many events happening that it's hard to list them, and I won't even list them. But I'll list a few of them. All right, we have softball teams. We want to start volleyball teams. We have women's hangouts happening, dude hangouts happening. We got so many stuff going on, phone parties, baseball games. So if you're like, dude, I want to meet more people. I want to get to know this community. I don't just want to show up here on a Sunday. Man, there are so many opportunities for you to show up at a party at the park or something like that and to rub shoulders with people and get to know people and get to to, to not just show up here on a Sunday, maybe not just go to your life group on a Wednesday, but to really get to know some people in a powerful way. So go to them, all right? Take advantage of these moments. Take advantage of these things that we're doing because it really, really matters. It really matters that we know one another and how to care for one another, how to love on one another. And all of that starts oftentimes just by throwing a football with somebody, kicking a soccer ball with somebody, right? Sitting on a blanket with somebody, sharing a hot dog with somebody. Can I get an amen? Maybe don't share it, but just sit next to them while... Right, so take advantage of these opportunities because at the end of the summer, we want to look back and say, you know what, that happened in my heart. I took some steps in my relationship with God, and I took some steps into the deeper relationship with the people around me. Amen? That's where we're going. And what we're doing is we're starting every sermon with something that is not new but is unique. That's what I said last week. It's not new because we've done it before, but it is unique because we don't do it often. And that is that we are going to do a reading from Scripture. We're going to read the entirety of the the Scripture that we're going to be walking through throughout this sermon. And I I just want to say that this has two purposes. The first purpose is that it is a very practical way for us to remind ourselves of the reverence and the authority of the Word of God. That when we stop, and in a minute we're going to stand And we're going to allow nothing but the words of the Bible to fill this space. And that in and of itself has the power to change the world. So it is a simple, practical way where we can remind ourselves of the authority of the Word of God. And it also is an amazing way for the Bible just to wash over us. There is something that is healing in the Word of God. Amen? There's something that's transformative in the Word of God. And when we just read big passages of Scripture, oftentimes we can literally feel the words washing over us and beginning to rewire us and realign us with the truth of who God is and who He has called us to be. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand for the reading of the Word? Carolyn Grant, where are you? Wow. Guys, Carolyn Grant, are you kidding me? I'm reading from Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. 
and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Let me just pray for us. God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of the truth. Lord, we're asking today you'd open our hearts, open our minds. You would just give us a little bit of a break. Give us some space from the chaos and the disappointment and the confusion and all the different things that we might be feeling. Lord, let us just be able to sit with you right now and let your word transform our hearts. And everybody said really loud because they're not watching golf. Amen. Amen. I want to show you something. Some of you guys have never seen one of these before. This is a telephone. I don't know, this is crazy. Like, this, this is actually, when I grew up, this was what talking on the telephone looked like. It looked like this. And I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if they existed. My super hip wife, who, who's not here, she's on a soccer field this morning, so let me just say I won. Um, but my super hip wife, she told me these are coming back. They're making a comeback. The old school analog, plug it in the wall, is making a comeback. But, but here's the thing. Me growing up, this is what life looked like. I would sit at the kitchen table. Tell me if anybody else has memories like this. And you had like the 20-foot cord. You know what I'm saying? And I'd be sitting at the kitchen table wrapped with this cord around me, trying to untangle it. It's like the more you tried to untangle it, the more tangled it got. And I would just sit on the phone with my friends. It's amazing. I think back about how much time I spent on the phone and how much I didn't say. Anybody else? It's like we would just like do our homework like this. Like just like getting a crick in our neck. And every once in a while I'd be like, yo, what's up? Hey, how you doing? What's up? Right? That, and then the phone took a huge step forward. You guys remember when you went cordless in your house? Like talking on the phone outside? It was like magic, man. It was like I, I, could, I could go and hide in my closet so my brothers couldn't hear what I was talking about. Go, I mean, the step from sitting at the kitchen table to the cordless phone, it was just like mind-blowing. But let's just be honest, right? The, the phone as we know it has been completely transformed. Uh, the cell phone has replaced the home phone. I feel like the only people that actually have a home phone anymore are my parents. 
And we tell them every time I go to Houston to visit them, why do y'all still pay for this? Nobody uses it. Have you noticed that it never rings? You know, like it doesn't, like this is not even a need anymore because the cell phone has completely wasted away our need for a phone like this, right? Now, here's the thing. I didn't even get a cell phone until I was a junior in college. Some of you are thinking, like, how did you survive? I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what was, I I, I like to look back on, man, what was life like pre-cell phone, right? But, But when I got a phone, it wasn't even a cool phone. Like the smoked gray Motorola Razor. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? That was the epitome of bawling in 2001. If someone called you and you pulled out the Motorola Razor, especially when they came out with the red one. Y'all remember the red one? It's like, wow, you have made it. You know, like you, you must be rich, okay? And so here's the thing. I never had a cool phone like that until a guy at my church gave me his mom's old Blackberry. That's when you know that you're broke, when you're fired up about your buddy's mom's old Blackberry. And I remember getting this phone and thinking, like, this, changed, this changes everything. Like, I can text now without pushing three, four times to get to I. Y'all don't even know about this. See, y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. We used to have to do that. You know, like, da, 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 da. And you're just saying hello. Like, all of that work just to be like, hello, okay? And so when I got this old BlackBerry, I'm like, oh, my goodness, there is a button for every letter. I am so fast and efficient. And this thing couldn't do anything except text, call, and and do my email, kind of do your email. You remember, like, on the journey to as connected that we are today, it was a clunky process. Some of you guys don't remember that. But it used to be really, really hard to even make sense of the emails that came to your phone. It was like you almost just had the ability to say you get email on your phone, but you really couldn't do email on your phone, right? Now, but at the same time, I was thinking my productivity level has gone through the roof because I was given this guy's mom's old Blackberry. I, I remember one time I, was, I lived in Seattle at the time. I went to Portland, and I'm having to respond to a crisis. And I even looked at Liz, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, this would have taken me so much longer, but I have this Blackberry, and it's amazing. And I was so content with my old used Blackberry until my buddy Brian came home with the iPhone 1. And he came and showed me the iPhone 1. Now, some of you don't know life without scrolling. Let me tell you, the first time, when, look, when you went, when you could remember this, and then you held this in your hand, it was like, whoa. Because here's the thing. Any technological advance that had happened up until this point, you had to have a master's degree in engineering to even figure out how to use it. Like the, the user manual for that BlackBerry that I got was bigger than the box that the phone came in. It's like 20 chapters. You had to read four chapters to even figure out how you could link up your email to the phone. Right? And then this thing comes along and you scroll it and you're like, this is amazing. Did you see how it bounced? Do you guys remember the first time you encountered the iPhone scrolling bounce where it's like you scroll it up and you scrolled too fast, but it's like your brain wanted it to realize, and so it just kind of like goes, and you're like, wow, this 
It's so cool. And then you could just touch something and go, I wonder if I could get it to move. And it just moved. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You're like, I wonder if I could make all of these in the same folder. And it's crazy because if you think about it, this is an extraordinarily complex machine that doesn't come with the user manual. Why? Because it was built with the operating system, with you in mind when they built the operating system. The operating system of the iPhone, what makes it amazing, yes, it's beautiful, it's elegant, It's all of those things. It's easy to use. But the real advance that happened with the iPhone was it was like the first really complicated thing that they built around people who didn't do complicated things. And so all of a sudden, you're holding in your hand like an ecosystem that you didn't want to leave. And it was like overnight, we went from, do I want to have my phone with me all the time? To I have to have my phone with me all the time. And it was, yes, this connected thing, but also it was just fun to do something, to interact with something that was built with you in mind. Here's the thing. Let me sum up Ephesians 2 really, really quickly for you. Paul is making clear for us that in life there are two operating systems that we can live from. There's an operating system of life or there's an operating system of death. And whatever operating system that we live from is going to dramatically impact how we experience what we are living through. Again, listen to verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live as you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is it now at work in those who are disobedient. This is a huge theological foundation stone. This is a building block understanding of what God has created and designed the operating system of heaven to function through our lives. This is a massive foundation stone. And here it is. Without Jesus, we're not bad. We're dead. Let me say that one more time. Without Jesus, we're not bad. We are dead. And this is a very important differentiation because life in God is not about trying to be good. It's it's not about trying to, to, to be a good person. Life with God is about being alive. And I hear all the time as a pastor on a consistent basis, Man, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better person. And it's not like one age group that has this desire. I I hear it from high school students all the way up to empty nesters and beyond. People just have this thing. It's like, man, I just want to be better. Uh, I want to be better at being a Christian. I want to love God better. And can I just say this? Stop trying to be better. Jesus doesn't make bad people better. He makes dead people come alive. 
That is, that is the operating system of heaven is that he makes dead people come alive. And what we need to do is we just need to breathe in a breath of grace and allow our souls to begin to live. Because loving Jesus is not about behavior modification. Loving Jesus is about resurrection. Oh, I wish you heard what I said. Loving Jesus is not about behavior modification, about changing some behavior so that you can be on the better side at the end of your life. No, loving Jesus is about resurrection. That's why you can be a good person and still be dead. There have been a lot of good people. A lot of good people have walked the earth. A lot of good, a lot of people, good people. A lot of people done a lot of great things for humanity. A lot of great things for those around them. People can be compassionate and kind and do amazing things for the sake of others. But that does not mean that they're alive. Morality is a benefit of salvation. It's a fruit of salvation. It, it is not a part. Of our salvation. This is super big. This is a massive, massive thing to understand if we want to build our house on a rock, which is the truth of the Word of God. It's a massive thing. Being or doing good will not awaken our hearts. Being and doing good will not erase the shame of your past. Being and doing good will not take the weight of your failures off of your shoulders. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we are rescued from what, to quote Paul here in Ephesians 2, we're rescued from our transgressions and sin. And the operating system that programs how we make decisions and the things that we do is either going to be an operating system of life Or it is going to be one of death. So the question for us, very simple, is not are we doing good, not are we good. The question is, what is the operating system we're living from? What's the operating system we're living from? Listen to verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time. You know what Paul is saying? We all started in the same place. There's no self-selection in and out of this passage. All of us lived lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead In transgressions, we have been made alive in Christ. At salvation, the operating system in us is changed in a moment. This is amazing. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we we, we legitimately go from being stuck in one place to something that was designed with you in mind. And in that moment, When you receive Jesus and you receive the truth of who he is and what he did for you, your operating system flips. You go from operating out of a place of death to experiencing the operating system of life. But you have to understand that the enemy, the devil, we talked about this last week, is roaming around looking for someone to devour. And what he wants to do is he wants to dilute this truth. 
And that's why even within the context of people who have experienced the life-changing reality of having their souls awakened to the promise of heaven because of what Jesus did for us, we can forget that it's what Jesus did and we start to believe that it's about what we do. This is often called the, the spirit of religion. It's why we have to at times make a delineation that we are relationship people. We're not a religious people. Religion tells you that it matters what you do. Relationship reinforces that it matters what Jesus did. We are made alive in Christ. In Jesus, the limits that we had, the things we were stuck in, the the stuff that we couldn't get rid of, in that moment, by the power of the grace of God, is literally eliminated. It is washed away. The consequences of our sin are absolutely obliterated because of what Jesus did. But the enemy wants you to think that we are made alive because of what we do. Or maybe I should put it this way. We stay alive because of what we do. Versus living alive because of what Jesus did. Hear me. The life that Jesus has for us, he gave us in spite of what we did. Listen to Romans 5. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We're reconciled to God, and it's through the cross of Christ that we have been made right. It is through the cross that we have been made righteous. And it is through the understanding that Jesus did what we were powerless to do. That is the power source of our new operating system. That Jesus did what we were powerless to do. Meaning that how we live, what we do, how we talk, what we watch, what we spend time doing in life is now through the lens of I am seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen, that means that our connection with God This side of the cross is now relational. It's not transactional. Our connection with God is relational. It's not transactional. Remember that before Jesus, the way the people of God realigned with the purposes of God was through practices and rituals that were mirrors of what was to come when Jesus became the final sacrifice of our sin. And what Paul brought home here is that it was because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's not about being a better Christian. It's about walking alive with a person. It's about walking alive with a person. The goal of God for you and the goal of God for me is that we would walk with him. That we would live fully aware of him. So what's that look like? What's it look like for us to walk around aware, fully aware 
that we are seated at the right hand of God because of what Jesus did for us. Simply, we're no longer just driving to a meeting. We're no longer just sitting in a, ch- in a kid pickup line. We are engaging with the person of Jesus as we are doing the rhythms of life. We're saying, God, what's your goal for this time? Jesus, is there anything that you want to say to me? We're walking alive with a person. And we're not weighing like, oh, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? We're asking the Holy Spirit, God, what's your your desire for my heart right now? What do you have for me right now? What what do you want to do in me right now? Not just through me. I think sometimes we think about this and it's like all of a sudden we think we have to be hyper evangelistic. No, it's about being with him. And as we're with him, yes, as as we get filled with him, guess what happens? There's an overflow that happens from him. But evangelism becomes super easy when you're filled up. It's, it's, not, it's not a difficult or challenging thing for people to encounter what you are encountering. We're saying, God, what do you have, what do you have for us? It, it, you know what it also looks like? If you're a business owner or if you're a leader in your school, you're no longer just seeing this as something that you do, but you're realizing that God has put you where he's put you so that you can build heaven around you. So that you are looking at your people and you're not saying like, man, what can I get out of you? You're thinking, what can I put in you? Wow, I really do think that the fastest way for us to see the entire city of Austin change is all of the entrepreneurs in the city realizing it's not about me getting rich. It's about me dumping into people. That will be so mind-blowing that you have businesses built on the back of kingdom principles blowing worldly culture out of the water. Where people are lining up to work for your company because they're not just going to get an amazing wage, they're going to get amazing things put into their soul. Because you're not taking anything from them. You're like, dude, I want to give you something. I want to depart something in you. I want to put the kingdom of heaven in you. I want to surround you. I want to be, that's where church happens. Can I just say that? It doesn't happen here on a Sunday morning. We come here, we get filled up, we get charged up, we get encouraged. But man, you know where church happens? Monday. It's where church happens, man. People living alive to the person of Jesus, leading them and walking with them and guiding them throughout their day. And this is the invitation here in Ephesians 2. Is that we understand that it's not about what we've done. It's what we have access to because of what Jesus has done. Hear me, walking with God and being aware of him, let me tell you what it is not. It is not me trying to be a good person so God will bless me. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that we were dead in our transgressions and sin. And through the rich mercy of God, Jesus paid the penalty of our sin so that we can be made alive in him. This changes everything. This changes everything. 
The life that God has for us is a life that is about walking with God, not trying to impress God. It's about walking with him. Your goal is not to make it through your day without sinning. Your goal is to make it through your day aware of Jesus. And I think a lot of our sin problems will be getting taken care of when we're focused on walking alive with the person of Jesus. When we're living in the operating system that we've been made alive and we're aware of him. When we engage with him in all that we're doing. The operating system of our souls is that we are alive in God. And the goal of Jesus for us is not that we would just stay out of trouble here on earth so that then we can experience him in heaven. That's not the goal of God. His goal for us is that we would experience him on earth and that our closeness with him will protect us from the sin that so easily entangles us. He wants relationship with us. Remember, before the earth, right? Before sin entered the earth, the rhythm of the garden of Eden was God would come and hang out with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He would come and just be with them. He would just spend his his evenings together with them, just walking with him. God created them to be with them. He did not create them so that they would impress him. He did not create them and be like, do something cool for me, man. Come on. This is why I breathe life into you. Better be good. No, he created them to enjoy them, to have relationship with him. It's the same thing that that I felt when I held my daughter Sophie for the first time. It's like, how bananas is my heart exploding towards this little thing that can do nothing for me? But my pleasure level was through the roof. Like I had never been more proud in my life of someone taking a dump. I'm never, I mean, but think about it, dude. We're just like, oh my gosh, look at that little poo-poo. Like, because that's what happens in the purity of relationship that is one directional. We taste just a little bit, I think just a little bit of God's heart for us. That it's in spite of what we've done. He's just like, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. The rescue mission of heaven was that relationship with God could be restored to us. That is what Jesus did for us. But the human heart drifts away from the challenge of walking with God because relationships are hard. Can I get an amen on that? If you're in a relationship, can you say it's hard? Relationships are so much harder than a list of rules. This is why we drift from relationship with God and shrink our encounters with God into a list of do's and don'ts, things we should do and things we shouldn't do. And we use that list as our measurement of our standing with God versus the 
real-time relationship connection with God. It's harder to live aware of Jesus in all than we do. It's easier just to make rules. Rules are always easier than relationships. Let me just say that again. Rules are always easier than relationships. But rules were never the goal relationship was. Look, for those of you who are married, this will make sense to you. If you and your spouse had a list of things like, all right, cool, I'm going to be good with you if you're good with me if we just do these 10 things. No, we're going to be roommates. We're not going to be married. When I lived with a bunch of dudes in college, we had a list of rules because we didn't want to live in a pigsty, right? Then the bathrooms were never clean. So we had a list of things we did. That was the extent of our relationship for the most part. Why? Because I'm not trying to have some intimate connection with a bunch of dudes. All right? Then not at all. But with my wife, Liz, I want to know her. I want to know how to serve her. I want to know what makes her heart come alive. The list of rules is going to do nothing for that. Relationships are so much harder than rules. Listen to Romans 8. For what the law, the rules, for what the law, this is speaking to that list that God gave the people of God of do's and don'ts. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. What that means is, is that it's an inability of us to do what the law requires. God did. What we couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in him? No. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law was given to the people of God as a clear standard of righteousness and godliness and the list of things to do and not to do had an intent of showing that the people of God could not it was weakened by the flesh the people of God could not withhold the standard of heaven they couldn't but again the goal of God was not that we would have a list of rules that we would follow no, is that we would walk in relationship with him. So Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Hear me. Not voiding the standard that the law set. But he stood in the gap of our sinfulness in heaven's righteousness. So that our standing with God would be restored from that point on. So yes... How we live looks totally different if we're living alive in God. But it's because of who is fueling us. It's the operating system that is within us that changes the behaviors that happen outside of us. Again, Ephesians 2 verse 5. It's by grace you have been saved. 
It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is foundational for us because, again, life with God is relational. It is not transactional. We've been saved by grace, not because of what we've done. We've been saved in spite of what we have done. Our relationship with God is not defined by what we did or didn't do. Our relationship with God is defined by who we know. Listen listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 21. For everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But if he does, but but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who were practiced, you who practiced lawlessness. Jesus is talking about the operating system here of the people. It's a lot of really good things they did. And Jesus looked at them and said, I have no idea who you are. Because God doesn't look at what we have done. God looks at our operating system. What is driving us? Are we alive or are we dead? Being a good person doesn't save you. Again, Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace we've been saved. It's by grace through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And then Jesus says this. He goes on in Matthew 7, and he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Man, if you want to know a roadmap to living alive and God, do what he says. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. And you might be like, dude, I don't like that. I like to do what I like to do. I don't like anybody to tell me what to do. Well, you have an operating system problem. Because our God tells us what to do. He shapes what we do. He changes how we live. He impacts how we talk. He changes the way we do business, changes the way we think, changes what we do. It's who our God is. Jesus goes on and says, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. How many of you have heard this passage? Right? We oftentimes read this passage and we forget that the first part of the passage was he was addressing a lack of a heart change in people who were doing good things. He says, I will liken the wise man to build his house on the rock and the rain will descend and floods came and the wind blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell. 
and it was a great fall. What Jesus is telling us is that if we want to rid the foundation of our lives from sandy areas, that yes, our sin, but it's not always sin. Sometimes it's a belief system that is buying into that you earn what he has already paid. And if you want to rid yourself of this, this sandy, these sandy areas in our foundation of, of self-righteousness and relationshiplessness with Jesus that we call religion, meaning that life with God is transactional. That's ultimately what religion is. Life with God is transactional, but remember what Jesus made a way for was it's not about a transaction, it's about a relationship. When we begin to deal with those sandy areas in our foundation, we will find that we are standing on a strong place. And if I said to you, you know what? Are you tired of being pushed around in life? Are you tired of your circumstances taking your legs out from under you? Are you tired of being overwhelmed and wiped out and and pushed to the side and, and just stuff has a dramatic effect on you? Deal with the sand in your foundation. Deal with the sand in your foundation. If you want to to stand and and experience strength in the opposition, deal with the sand in your foundation. Maybe it's a broken belief system. Maybe you think that you have to get yourself right before God will see you right. Maybe you think that it's about what you do and not what Jesus did. Maybe you're trying to chase behavior modification versus soul resurrection. Whatever it is, those are sandy places. Those are soft places in the foundation of our soul. And I wanted to just just end with Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10 one more time. For it's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. We want to create a little space for us to be able to respond to the sandy areas in our foundation. Some of you are here and you have not made a decision to receive the truth of who Jesus is to rescue you from your transgressions and sin. This free gift that's available to all of us because of what Jesus did in spite of what we have done. And you're here and you're like, you know what, I've been walking around carrying around a bunch of stuff and it's wearing me out and I'm tired and your soul is burning within you right now as it tasted truth, maybe for the first time this morning. And you're saying, I'm tired of trying to do right. I'm trying to be tired of trying to be better, be a good person, be a moral person. I need my soul to go from death to life. I need to go from an old school phone to an operating system that was built with me coming alive in mind. And others of you, or like, man, I've, I'm holding my new operating system, but I have allowed this false truth that I stay alive because of what I do. And I don't stay alive because I remind myself of what Jesus has done. And so you've encountered Jesus, you've experienced him, but you think that your, your status with him is determined by what you do versus what he did. That is a false religion. 
you are tasting not the grace that has been freely given to you. And it's actually the grace of God that will just explode the sin out of our souls. You can't change yourself, but God can change you. You can't get yourself better. You're not going to be able to say no to those urges, but God can do it in you. And so if you're here and you feel stuck and maybe you're like, I can't get out of this thing I'm stuck in. We're getting ready to start singing. And I want you to begin to make your way to the front. Again, two simple things. If you're like, dude, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to him. Don't leave operating out of a place of death. Experience the life that we have in Jesus. And if you have bought into this thing that you stay alive because of what you do and not what he has done, don't leave carrying around the weight that's not yours to carry because there is life for us. You you hear what I'm saying? There's life for us. Hey, let me pray. Everybody just close your eyes. Hey, if if you want to give your life to Jesus, I just love to know so I can pray for you and carry you. Just real quick, shoot your hand up. If you're like, man, I'm tired of living this operating system of death. I want to step into an operating system of life. I see you over there. Anybody else? Can we just thank God for the power of people experiencing the truth of who Jesus is? Come on, let's just worship.